Welcome to The Other Side of 40. My name is April Grant, and I'm here to help women make positive changes with their lives after the age of 40. Let The Other Side of 40 become your community to find inspiration and support to start the next chapter of your life. Hello, this is April. I just want to insert a trigger warning on this particular episode. With Susan Gowdy, we discuss her sexual assault as a child and the reoccurring trauma associated with that harrowing act. And I understand for some people that may be too much to hear. So I just want to let you know. And if it's too much for you, I hope to see you on the next episode. Welcome to this week's episode of The Other Side of 40. Today we have Susan Goody. She is an empowerment advisor and public speaker who's also certified in neurophysical reprogramming, bioenergetic synchronization technique. She has a master's degree in social work and she's an author of two books, The Journey from Fear to Love is Shorter Than You Think and 10 Ways to Eliminate Drama from Your Life. As someone who likes to live drama-free, I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, Her education has led her in the direction of psychology, personal development, and techniques for programming, reprogramming the subconscious mind to heal physical as well as deep-rooted emotional issues peaked at as a direct result from a traumatic childhood experience that ultimately laid the foundation for her entire life. So we have actually had a couple of episodes talking about reprogramming. So I love the fact that this is going to be part of, I guess, a little mini series that we have going on here um, and really getting deeper into figuring out why or how we were raised has a direct impact on our future and our growth and how we can change that for to make sure that we have the future that we ultimately desire. So um, I ask all these questions, this question of all my guests, what was your awakening moment and take us through it and what did you do with it? Hi, April. Um, Well, at 41, um, I was living in Arizona and we were living in a a nice home and I had my uh, four children, my last child was five years old, uh, six years old at that time. And my husband was not, um, not happy with where we were living. And I, he was hemming and hawing about whether or not we should move. And we'd been to Colorado Springs several times into Colorado and absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. And so um, he couldn't make a decision. And my husband traveled a lot. And so he was, he had, he, he was making lots of decisions and I was taking care of children. I was raising my children. I have a master's degree. So I was trying to do some things on the side also, continuing to work part-time, creating a business, trying to do all of that, but with four children and my husband was always gone. So I, he was, like I said, hemming and hawing about what to do and wanted to move. He had an opportunity to work in Colorado Springs And um, it was an awakening moment because I just stepped up and said, then we're going to do it. And I hired a real estate agent and I put my house on the market and um, I actually fired my first real estate agent. Happens. (laughs) So, I mean, but it was, it was really an awakening moment because I made the decision. I took the bull by the horns and I just said, okay, enough. This is what we're going to do. So I put the house up for sale. The first agent um, didn't agree with what I wanted to price my house for. He said it would never sell for that, that no no other house in the neighborhood had sold for that much. He told me I was trying to sell it for like 90,000 over what any other house had sold for. Mm. And I um, ignored him and I fired him because he wouldn't cooperate with me because I, I had put my, my heart and my soul and all of my love into that home where I had been raising my children. And right. I, knew what it, I knew what it was worth in my heart. I knew it was worth 
a lot. And um, so, I mean, I had some, you know, ideas of how I wanted to sell it, who I wanted to sell it to. Mm -hmm. And so I hired another realtor and we put the house up for what I asked for. He also thought I was nuts, but he went along with me. And lo and behold, I actually sold that house for a hundred thousand higher than any other home in the neighborhood. And wow. Was, yeah. I stuck to my guns and I, I, so it was quite, it was a big deal that I stepped up and, and then I moved my family. We moved from Arizona to, um, sold my house for much more than I, you know, anybody thought I could. And then I moved to my family my husband and I moved and we've been here for 15 years now. And then, um, when I got here within two years, I was 42. Um, that's, I wrote a book. I, I, it was another, it's like that awakening moment led to another one. And I, I wrote a book. And then as I was writing my book, um, it's called the journey from fear to love is shorter than you think. I realized, um, as I was writing it and I was doing the cover for it, it wasn't until I was in the process that I realized that the book was actually related to the trauma that you mentioned in the introduction that occurred before I was even three years old. So yeah. Can you tell us another. a little bit about that, the, the trauma that you experienced? Yeah, I, um, so before I was three, I was um, sexually abused by a neighbor boy who was 16. And um, yeah, he was actually, they were, you know, they were our neighbors, they were friends. I was friends with his, his little sister. Um, and I, you know, I, and I remember exactly, I remember the abuse. I remember exactly what happened. So, um, but for the family moved, they just kind of disappeared at that. I didn't know and understand what happened until later. Okay. Uh, my father apparently had talked to his father and I, by the time I was six, that's when I know the family was no longer there. So apparently at six, three years later, I was <laughs> a six-year-old kid telling all my friends what happened. Including, wow. Yeah, including his sister. And I, you know, six-year-olds are brave. I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. So I was just telling them this is what happened. And I was being accused of lying. Um, but um, the family ended up moving because my father went over and he or his father, the boy's father, who happened to be a minister, um, came over to my house and, and uh, accused my, my family of spreading rumors and trying to make, their, make them look bad or something. And when my father explained to him, none of us were saying anything. We've not, it, it had to be, they called me Susie, had to be Susie. And that's when his father was shocked and so upset and hurt and concerned and felt so horrible for me that he packed up his family and they moved. So, wow. um, yeah. And so as I went through the years, all of this, you know, I had obviously, um, some effects from that as I was growing up, like fears and, and, um, and, and nightmares and different things like that. And I didn't understand until I was much older. I was in college and I was in social work classes and I was taking a class on flashbacks. Um, we were talking about flashbacks and that's when I started to realize, oh my goodness, all this, all these things, these weird things that, you know, I just, I was, <laughs> I had on, on, I didn't know why I was so afraid of like afraid of the dark, you know, afraid to go in my basement, afraid of, different things and I would get like almost panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And I started to understand that as I was going through school and learning um, more about those types of things. So. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah. But that must have been extremely scary for such a young girl um, yeah, to go through yeah. it. And I don't know, I, I it always boggles my mind when the first response is something that traumatic parents have not parent, your parents, but a parent could have that they are, the kid's lying. Like even the, right. the thought that the kid would be lying about something so horrible. Right. Um, 
Yeah. It, well, my mom said there was definite evidence that it had happened. Mm. So um, she she had phys there was physical evidence because I'd come home and she she saw. So they 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 my parents were and this was back in 1960. Uh, seven. So, and it was in Chicago and there was no, nothing like child protective services or anything like that. So right. I, I mean, I credit my parents a lot for the way they handled it. They I were mean, I would, it. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume so. I mean, goodness, I, I've heard a lot of stories and often the parents don't believe the child. And it's just, for me, okay. it just sounds heartbreaking because, you know, yeah. you can't, I couldn't imagine not believing my child when yeah. it's something like that. I mean, yeah, they may not have put away their dish, but <laughs> something yeah. dramatic. Yeah. Well, um, and I don't think I verbalized it to them, though. I was because I wasn't even three years old. It was two months before my third birthday. So yeah. I, it was more the um, the physical evidence and how I was behaving. And right. I started having nightmares and um, just different things, gagging issues and um, different things that, that made my mom, alerted my mom, but immediately when I came home, she knew something had happened, and um, my dad did go and talk to his father, and the boy was sent away. That was, I mean, there was no child protective services or anything like that, so um, they did the best they could, too, and they sent him from what I was told, <laughs> to stay with a mean old aunt that was going to whip him into shape. So, um, okay. well, they did. Yeah. They took some action. So that's that's yeah. that's positive. Um, yeah. So when you said so, when you take took your psychology classes, that was in your master's program, and under I, I was yeah or, I was taking social work, sociology, you know, psychology, all of those different kinds of classes and. I can't remember if it was a psychology class or, or what, but it was, I just remember it was, we were talking about flashbacks mm -hmm. and, and I suddenly had like a flashback in the middle of class and was like, oh my gosh. I mean, and then it started to come together. I started to understand um, all these unknown, like I couldn't understand the fears I had. I, you know, I just thought I was just a little bit maybe overreactive, silly. What was, you know, what was wrong with me? felt like I had to run and hurry and my friends were like what's wrong with you I mean they're just you know this happens all the time big deal right. and I couldn't at that time really I, I didn't know I was I did it was an automatic reaction I was very frightened so, so and then I moved to Arizona and in Arizona there are a lot of Hispanics and yeah. I I do remember a particular time in a, a grocery store parking lot and I was going with a friend who I just met, so she really didn't know me very well, getting to know a neighbor. And mm -hmm. we went to the store, went to go back to get in the car, and it was getting dark. Men were making, you know, gestures and saying things. They weren't going to do anything, but they were saying things that triggered it again. It was sexual right. kind of things. And I couldn't, I couldn't get my car key in the car. I was in a total panic. And here I am with this person who didn't really know me, I'm trying to make friends. And I'm like, I can't. And I, she was just like, what's going on? I'm like, da, da, da. and I, I got finally got the car key in and got in the car. But I, I mean, I just would go into a total, total panic. And I, even at that time, I was 21, and still trying to understand where is this coming from, it would just overtake me. So, so you, you, re you realize from the class, that a lot of that trauma had was playing a part in your day-to-day -day life. So what did you do with that once you got that knowledge? Did you go to therapy? Did you push it back down? Um, what exactly happened between college and turning 40? Well, I, I was in a lot of pain in college and that was part of this too. And I didn't know why I was in so much pain. I had a lot of back pain and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so in college, I actually started seeing somebody to help me physically. And um, he was doing very gentle technique, just touching points and gently trying to adjust and, and adjust my body and help me to feel better. And it did help. Um, but when I moved to Arizona, I was looking for somebody to continue to help me because I was still having those pains. And um, he suggested the doctor in Illinois 
said, if you're going to see somebody, make sure they're using something called kinesiology, which works with the muscles and is gentle. He didn't want someone popping and cracking because he right. thought we were doing something different. So I found a, a, a chiropractor and he used a technique called BEST. And that's okay. the bioenergetic synchronization technique. And that was created um, by a chiropractor who realized that his adjustments were not holding. And then when he created this technique where he was touching certain points, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, pressure points, that the, the balancing or the adjustment he did would hold. So he then went further and realized you know, it's not about just the physical body. This is the emotional, the physical, the entire body, everything together needs to be worked on together. It can't be separated. Right. So the technique working with best and working with the doctor that I worked with there is where um, I really cleared stuff out. It, but I didn't clear like huge clearing until I was about 27 when okay. I had a two-year-old daughter. And okay. Um, with, with my two-year-old, suddenly I was having sinus infection after sinus infection, and I, I was sick all the time, and I couldn't figure it out. And I went to see this best doctor, and I went in that day, and I swear it was like I was waving my white flag going, I surrender, I surrender, I have to know what's going on, I can't, right. I can't I can do imagine. this anymore. Yeah, I have a two-year-old, I'm, you know, it's just, what's going on? And I went in and he worked with me and the technique brings up um, emotions and words and things. And so okay. he, on that day, took me into a private room because the first thing that came up was sexual abuse. And wow. I've never told, never told him anything about any of this. So I was like, I was actually angry at first. I was like, well, were you spying on me? And how do you know? Because I, I mean, I never told him anything about it. So right. he took me into a private room because so, of the subject matter. And we finished the balancing. That's what they're called. Um, and, and basically, best will clear out interference. And so we cleared out the interference that was in my body, in my being, in my spirit, uh, my energy, that was interfering with me being able to be healthy and well and live a vibrant life and it was all related to the sexual abuse before I was three wow. so and on that day I can tell you two things that happened from that day forward um one I I had let me step back for a minute I had a reoccurring nightmare my entire life since I was abused and it was like waking up blood curdling screams you know white as a ghost just ah just that kind of nightmare and it was night every night and it was also related. I realized as I was doing my book and doing the cover for it, that it was related to the abuse. Um, so the nightmare went away after the best treatment that totally went away, never have had it again. And the sinus infections went away and I've never had another one. Never wow. had another one. So that was a huge, you know, that just, what a relief. I was able to, to go on and live my life. And <laughs> I had three more children and um, no more nightmares and no more sinus infections. And, you know, it's, it was quite amazing. So that was a big, big shift. So at 41, you decided that, you know, your family needed a, a different scenery, a different lifestyle. So you moved from right. Arizona to Colorado. Um, I've never been to Colorado. I'd love to go one day. Um, I've been to Arizona. Um, and my sister lives there. I've got a, I've got some family in Arizona. Um, but I really want to check out some of the mountains in Colorado. I'm a mountain girl. Much you more know, than Pikes, Peak, Pikes Peak is out my window right here. Pikes That's Peak a... Mountain. And I climbed it last September. So. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a mountain girl, even though I've lived close to the beach most of my life. Um, <laughs> I'd much rather live close to a mountain. Anyway, uh, so, but then you moved, got settled in, and the first thing you do after you move a family of four to a brand new spot is decide to write a book. How exactly well, does that happen? <laughs> that was within the first couple years I decided to write a book. I was 42, so we moved at, I moved in at 41, and um, 
And at 42, yeah, I, I, my husband was working all the time. I had had a practice back in Arizona out of my house and the home I bought here, I, I didn't think it through. It wasn't a good place to have a practice because I, I am a best practitioner. Um, okay. So uh, I, was, I was working with clients and, and this home wasn't, it wasn't a good spot for it because they would have to walk upstairs and a lot of my clients would come in with physical things going on. So I needed for them to be able to just walk right into a room, not have to go upstairs. Gotcha. Um, so I, I struggled and tried to find a um, office space and all of those different things. And I finally just kind of got fed up with, with trying to make that work and force that to work. So I decided, well, how can I reach more people than just one-on-one? -on -one? What can I do to help as many people as I possibly can? So I decided I'm going to write this book, but I, I really didn't think it would, I would, it would go anywhere. I didn't think, you know, I just thought I'm just going to write a book and see what happens and I'll hand it out to people or whatever. Um, so I, I came up with the title, the journey from fear to love is shorter than you think. Um, Cause it related to the whole idea with best about how your thoughts affect your, affect your life, your physical being, your everything about your life, um, positively or negatively. And then I was creating the book um, and I wrote, I had my nephew help me do the cover, which I put a maze on the cover because I was doing the journey from fear to love. So I put this maze on the cover and I said, I want it to, you know, it, it, in my mind, it was like these concrete tall walls and you're trying to get through this you know, solid maze and the walls are over way over your head. And so I was creating that with him. I started writing the book. And um, as I was looking at the cover one day, actually I woke up in the middle of the night and I realized, oh my goodness, that I was dreaming about the book cover and the book cover was, was from my nightmare that I had all those years ago. And I thought, oh my God, what, what is this? It was, it was because the nightmare was that I was running through a maze and I was trying to get away from a tall man, much bigger than me. He was all in black, but he had a white face mask on. So I couldn't see his face. And every night it was the same nightmare. He was chasing me through this maze, but it was concrete walls, like tall concrete walls around me. And I couldn't, I just run through it. It was like I was on the top of a building running through these concrete walls, trying to get out. And I would, I never did get out, but I would wake up and from the nightmare and be screaming. And it was like, I never got away from them. Mm. Well, when I was abused, I was abused um, I, in a concrete entranceway to a basement in Chicago. And I was, again, not even three. So I was down in the concrete. You would go down some steps and you were, it was like a, you know, a concrete ent entranceway to the basement. And then you the, must have looked ginormous compared to you, especially yeah, I was, at age. I know it was, yeah, and I was on the floor and he was above me. I know that. So, and I was in a corner in the concrete. I mean, I know, I remember what happened. And um, right. years after that occurred, I did go through uh, hypnotherapy. And so I did. I, it was confirmed and my parents were there and they confirmed lots of things like what I was wearing that day, my mom, because mm. I remembered it in the hypnotherapy. Right. So um, anyway, yeah. So I, as I was writing the book, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the, this is the maze from that nightmare that I hadn't had in years. So here I was at 41, 42, writing a book and not even realizing that the book was totally related to the trauma that occurred before I was three. And that's where it was coming from. And the whole book is about the steps I took to heal from that trauma, but I was writing it and not even relating that that's where it was coming from until I did the cover with my nephew. And I was like that. And then I had the dream and I woke up and went, that's the, that's the nightmare. That was the, so the, here's this nightmare that's turned into this beautiful thing. That is the journey from fear to love is shorter than you think. And it's how to get 
away from that fear and move to love and living in that space. That's awesome. Um, so you did mention that you are now a BEST practitioner. Um, can you tell us some of the fundamentals of BEST? Because this is the first time I'm hearing about it. I would not be surprised that this isn't the first time that many people are hearing about it. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means? And um, yeah, let's just start with that because I have a sure. Well, <laughs> it, was it was created by Dr. Mortar. Um, probably close to 50 years ago now. Um, his whole, all of his children still practice it. And um, it's best because he shortened it because it's a bio energetic synchronization technique. Okay. So that's why it's shortened to best. Um, and it's basically, like I said, uh, to give just a, a very basic, because it's, I, if I give you too much detail, nobody will understand it. Um, yeah. But basically, like I said, it's clearing any interference out of the body. So it could be emotional, physical, um, whatever the interference is that is causing your body emotionally, physically, spiritually, and in every way not to be able to function at its highest level, best clears that out, clears out the interference so that you can, it's like hitting the restart button so that you can start fresh. So for me on the day that it was totally cleared out on when I was 27. Um, all the sexual abuse stuff when he came up with that because if we, it's like peeling away at an onion as you're you're doing best. You're peeling away and peeling away the layers. Well, by 27 and having a two-year-old child that triggered all of that for me, the abuse and that. Looking at her and it triggered something in me, it caused sinus infections. That's my belief. It caused sinus infections. Saw the best practitioner and we got to it. Like it, it like right to it that day because I was ready and I was in cooperation. I wanted to be well. So, so it cleared that out completely. When you say clear, like what's the process? Am I are are we having a conversation as a, a client or are we are you physically touching me are you it's, like what is what is that using, what does it look like um, you're, well you're you're laying on a table like a massage table okay. um face up and you're uh, the practitioner is is finding contact points to hold and you're so it could be like at the temporals um and you're going to be told to focus on a word and you're breathing a certain way. So you might be holding a breath or just breathing nice and easy. And as you're focusing on that word, that word has something to do with whatever you came in with that day. So they're finding the information. So if you said, okay, my neck is hurting, um, they're gonna have you focus on your neck hurting and they're gonna find the information they need. And then they're gonna have you focus on a word and have you breathe a certain way look a certain direction. It's very simple. It's very non-invasive. They're holding contacts. And um, as you're going through that, energetically, you're releasing all of that stuff that's related, that's interfering, that's causing the problem. So I, I mean, I've had clients come in with their head stuck to their shoulder, you know, and can't move their head. And, and they will say, um, I don't know what happened. And then I'll say, well, when did it happen? Or when did it start? Well, last night, what was going on before that happened? So I'll ask more questions maybe. Um, well, I was having a fight with my girlfriend. <laughs> oh, okay. And then they went to bed and they woke up and they couldn't move their head. And, and as we, I have them focus on that neck pain or the neck being stuck and how it feels, how they feel about it. And they're breathing and I'm holding contacts um, literally before my eyes, I'll see their uh, range of motion come back before they leave my office. Wow. Now that's so, something to definitely look into because I've had, I've definitely had that experience happen to me. And now that you say it, it was before like a huge law school exam um, that I woke up and I literally couldn't move uh, my head and I had to have a friend come over and help me like get ready and all sorts of stuff. So it was, it was pretty somewhat embarrassing, um, but I, I needed to be taken uh, to the doctor. Well, I didn't know what to do with it. So I needed to be right. taken to the doctor 
Um, well, I, and I've taken my master's degree in social work and my counseling background, and I, I work with best. And of course, you know, so I might, I'll talk to my clients more maybe than a best practitioner. Well, because you don't, the beauty of best is that you don't have to, you, it's like I said, it's non-invasive uh, physically and emotionally non-invasive because they, the client doesn't have to share with you what it is they're thinking about. You're gotcha. just giving them a word. Um, like I didn't have to share with the practitioner, the chiropractor that day, that what he brought up, you know, he came up with sexual abuse. That was enough that he came up with those words, but um, I, I didn't have to share any details with him. I gotcha. just focused on what that, what that brought up for me. And so it's, it's nice because it's not, um, it's, it's very empowering because the client is doing the work. You're, you're just facilitating and, and assisting them through it, but they're doing the work. They get the credit. They're the ones that are focusing, they're clearing it out. They're the ones that are taking control of their life once they go through this. Okay. So, so um, for this, the first book you have, because uh, it's the journey is shorter than you think, From Fear to Love is shorter than you think. What, what are like, three things that you did in that book that um, got you to from fear to love besides because we've kind of discussed the the best practices and um, going down that route what else what are three other things that you've done well the first very first thing I did was become aware okay. I became aware of what what was what happened what was causing the problem for me I became aware and I, 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 I took a you know, closer look at it. Um, and then I, I, once I was aware of it, then I took steps to, to solve my problem, to do something about it, to help myself. Um, so, and the third thing is that, well, there's so many, so many things. So I would say the biggest thing that I did was I learned how to love myself first, to make myself the priority that I was the most important person in my life. And that, even and as a mom, important. yeah. And even as a mom, I mean, and uh, you know, women in their forties and that a lot of us are at that point where we're done having our children. Um, but that's what you've been doing for so many years. So you get to that point in your life where you're 40, 41 and you're kind of going, well, now what? And, and how do I, and, and you almost have to relearn it over and over again. Like, oh yeah, I should take care of me first. I should take care of me first. I love myself first. Um, and I think a lot of women get stuck in a rut after raising children and then getting into their forties. I mean, that's what you've been doing. A lot of us, you know, we're taking care of somebody, whether right. it's children or parents or whatever, um, maybe siblings, but we're naturally nurturing for the most part. So um, learning, yeah. being able to learn to love myself first, that was probably the, the biggest thing that, that turned everything around. I would have to agree. Like that's where I am now is not learning to love yourself, but figuring out who I am post children because who I was before, it's not, I wouldn't say it's that reasonable. Like, I mean, I, for a long time, I worked a lot and I worked out a lot, which right. just doesn't work with um, raising kids. <laughs> it's very hard to be gone. I would be gone all day. Like I used to not come home um, except for to shower and go to bed. Like I would right. just be gone. I'd be running errands or just out, just going places. So now to be a mom, I get the question actually quite often, you know, who are you? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't even know. I couldn't even begin to tell you what I want to do because I've been thinking about someone else's needs for the last 16 years right. um, over mine. So yeah, my, <laughs> my oldest yeah. son is 16. I, I, it's been almost two decades be, that I've thought about myself as a first. And that's right. not particularly a good thing. It's just right. what it is. <laughs> but we're kind of taught in our society that once you have a kid, you put yourself on the side, you raise the kids, 
And then once they're done, then you can go back to you being you. But yeah. thankfully, the society is actually changing that, that narrative and making it more, hey, you can still be you. The kids will be all right if they don't see you, you know. Mm-hmm. Every yeah, hour I think I was, I, was ahead of, I was ahead of the game, I think, because I just turned 56. Um, and my oldest now is 31. And I still exercise. I exercised and worked out like my whole life since I was, especially in my early 20s. And I was the, um, I was the odd one out because like you said, society makes you feel like as a parent and as a mom, like you, sh- you need to make them your 100% focus. You don't have time for anything else. This is the way it is. Um, you know, almost like you've been um, committed to, you know, <laughs> you're like, this is it. You're, you've been imprisoned as a parent and you can't do anything else. And so I would, I would take my kids to um, their preschool or whatever, because uh, by the time they're in preschool and things, and I would take them to preschool and carry them in and women would be standing around talking about what they had to do that day and how busy they were. And, you know, my husband's no help and I'm, he's gone and I've got this and that. And my husband was traveling too. Right. Uh, and I would be going, they'd be saying, so what are you going to do today? And I made the mistake one time of saying, well, actually, I'm going to go home and work out. And they were like, <laughs> I got the dirtiest looks. I got all these sound effects. And I thought, whoa, okay, I'm never going to tell anyone that again. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I did. I carved out the time for myself. And I, when I dropped them off for preschool, I would go home and get my workout in. So, and I did, or I would go to the gym or wherever and I would get my workout in and then I'd run an errand or whatever and I'd get back and pick up the kids. But by the time I got back to pick them up, because I'd put myself first, loved myself first, I was 100% available and focused on them for the rest of the day. I was a better mom. I was a better spouse. I was a better friend. I was better at everything because I made myself the priority. So I don't know if I was ahead of, you know, a lot of where people were at that time because of the dirty looks and things I got because of what happened to me and the, and the, you know, the path I was already on to self-healing and taking care of myself and being aware, being very aware of how I felt physically, physically and emotionally. Uh, I was real in touch. So I don't know if you know, that had everything to do with it, what had happened to me when I was so young, but it's what I talk about in the book and encourage everyone to do, like take care of yourself first, because as much as we think we're doing the right thing, society says this is the way it should be, and you look good, and everybody's happy about what you're doing, and you look good doing what you're doing, you're not taking care of yourself, and it's going to, it's going to show up it's going to show up with, you know, you just being tired and uh, frustrated and, and not as present for your children, all of those things. So that's part of what's in the book is like, take care of you first. It's not, it's not, it's, it's selfish. Yes. But there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with being selfish. It's, it's, it's okay to be selfish. It's not um, self-centered. There's a difference between being self-centered and selfish. It's a health, healthy being selfish, taking care of yourself first. That's okay. So that's part of what I encourage. Well, what I really liked about what you said is because you took care of yourself first, um, when your, your children were around, you were able to be present. Um, and I find that definitely a struggle for me when I don't put myself first, when I don't have carve out that time that I kind of feel all over the place, very scattered. Um, And then if I do, you know, like this morning I went for a workout, I'm going to do my work now. And then after that, then spend some time with them. I feel a lot more focused to be able to spend time with them because I've done, I guess I've done me first. I did all those things. It's not in the back of my mind. It's not spinning. I'm not thinking about. And you're not feeling, you're not feeling resentful or, or like, um, neglected or, you know, uh, unimportant or insignificant, you know, all those feelings that creep up 
when we're not taking care of ourselves first that you're not even aware where they're actually coming from. And it has everything to do with not taking care of your loving yourself first, because how can you not feel that way if you're constantly giving, 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 and all of your energy is going to someone else or something else, work, you know, family, friends, children, and you haven't carved out any time for you. So whether it's exercising or it's, you know, reading a book or it's meditating or it's taking a walk, whatever it is. I mean, I do encourage some physical activity and getting outside if you can, you know, getting some sunshine or, and if you can't get a sun lamp or something for your house, but having that, that hour for you, that's your time so that you, and the earlier you do it in the day, the better. Um, So I would get up when I was younger and my kids were younger. I would I would get up and I was at the gym by, you know, six in the morning, I'd get yeah. up at six in the morning, get my workout in and then go on to, to work from there. Cause I was usually working part-time or full-time depending on what was going on. So, um, right. but yeah, that's, it's so important and it just energizes you. You feel it better. does. And I definitely feel personally, I feel a difference when I do take that time out. Now, yeah. I don't want to skip over this other book. It's, it's a book, The Ten Ways to Eliminate Drama from Your Life. Um, I am a big proponent of low drama. I do not like it. Um, and and sometimes to a fault. And I will say it, it's, if I have too, too much going on with somebody, I prefer just not to deal with it at all. So I'm not going to say it's always a positive thing. Um, but I do not like drama. And a lot of people ask, how do I have low drama? And I don't know, I, part of me, which is some things we're addressing in therapy is, uh, you know, my lack of attachment to other people. Um, Mm -hmm. But in that though, I just often don't engage. I'm very comfortable not engaging in drama. And but how do you advise other people, including me, because I don't know, maybe there's certain things that I'm doing or not doing or things I could do better uh, to not have drama, but have solid relationships still. So well, what- I think, I, the, and I just, I, uh, the book has changed. The title is now 10 Ways to Eliminate Drama from Your Life, Easy oh. Ways to Be More Productive and Successful in Your Work and in Your Life. Because I wanted to um, add to it so that it was something that people who are working and and in corporate and busy, busy or or whatever it is that they're doing in work um, also could use this book. So anyway, I, the first thing, the first thing you're saying that you're already doing is one of the first things I would advise is avoid it. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with avoiding it. I mean, there's ways to do it nicely and and easily so nobody's insulted, but you just kind of aren't available for it. You disappear. You're just not there. They can't um, pull you into it if you're not available. So you can easily make yourself busy, even if it's something as uh, silly as, you know, they're calling and starting to get into it with you. Oh, you know what? I forgot. I've got an appointment. I got to take the dog to the groomer. I'll, I'll have to catch up with you later. Whatever you need to do to, yeah. to, to get away from the drama. There's nothing wrong with that. And eventually those people who are bringing that drama into your life and pulling you into it all the time, they're going to disappear anyway. Because oh, you're, okay. not, you're not feeding into it. You're not available to them. And that makes you not fun for them because they like the drama. You know, people, people like drama. People are drawn to it. It's uh, adrenaline rushing. It's like an adrenaline rush. It's like, you know, their next cup of coffee is the next bit of drama. So they, they're, they're like addicted to it practically. Some, some people are like addicted to drama. They need it to survive. And mm. it's, it's not their fault. It's not something, it's just become a habit or it was what they saw when they were being raised. And it's just how they've become because that's what they were taught or what they observed. And, and now it's become something that they can't live without. They can, but they just have to figure out how to do it. Gotcha. So 
Yeah, they could get the book too <laughs> <laughs> and, and read the steps and go through it. But somebody who's really addicted to it and really into it isn't going to be open to that book either. That's but true. it does help like someone like you saying, I don't like drama. I don't want it around me. I'm not a dramatic person. I don't get into that. There's steps that help you to, to avoid it and stay away from it too. Okay. So, and what else? Cause you, you said you changed the title. Can, can you give us a new title again? It's 10 ways to eliminate drama, uh, easy ways to be more productive and successful in your work and in your life. Okay, so can you give us at least one more way? Um, so let me think. Uh, uh, <laughs> hang on a second. I'm, I wasn't prepared for this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, well, there's all kinds of ways, but the, one is to take accountability for your, for your role in it. So that's the other thing. Uh, like, yeah. Like, if I'm sitting on the phone with somebody and I'm letting them go on and on, then I'm accountable for that because I haven't you know, politely made an excuse and got off the phone. So you have to take, your, take accountability. Or if you're the one that's actually unknowingly creating the drama, you know, maybe you're the one that actually started it. So that's one step. And then identifying the source of the drama. Where's it coming from? You know, oh. it, like you said, there's there may be certain people or certain situations and, you know, that group or this, this uh, thing at work or whatever that you decide I'm, I, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to avoid that. Once you identify the source, you can do that. So, um, and I'm, uh, I'm kind of, well, we don't want to, well, we don't want to give it all away because we want people to read it and buy it. And <laughs> um, what made you write this book as opposed to the other, in addition to the other book? Well, because when I was writing the journey from fear to love is shorter than you think, I do have a, a, a section in there about drama. Cause I mean, that's a part of getting away from fear and moving closer to living more in love is to get away from drama. Cause drama is not going to be a loving, fun, uplifting, light feeling. Um, so I had about, I think I had a paragraph, not a paragraph, I probably had a part of a chapter on it. And I, I just thought I should expand on that because it kept coming up. The drama issue kept coming up. And I thought, boy, I really should just expand on it. And this is just a, a short, easy book. And it's, it's full, but it's simple and it's easy. And I wanted to get right to the point with, you know, how to move away from drama in your life. So it came from the first book when I was getting so much feedback from people and everything was, it seemed like everything they were talking about, there was drama involved in it. Even yes. if somebody had a traumatic experience like I did, um, sometimes people will take that traumatic experience and then they will use it in their life. Um, they might become a victim to it. And then there's drama around that the drama that is around that whole thing that they continue through their life. You know what I gotcha. you know what I'm saying? So yes. like if I, if I were to say to you, oh, well that's because of what happened when I was a kid and la 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 la, you know what I mean? And and tried to tell you everything like making excuses and justifications for anything that wasn't going the way I wanted it to in my life or me doing something maybe even to you that was you know mean or not nice or whatever well that's because when i was a kid this happened and you see how then that becomes a drama in their life they're using that event and it starts to become drama so i i just yeah it, it totally came out of that book that it, there's drama everywhere <laughs> <laughs> there can be drama everywhere it's what what you choose to do with it yeah, where you put your attention to. Where you put your attention. attention. What is that mm -hmm. saying? Whatever you feed, whatever, I don't even remember. I'm, I'm completely messing up the... The monster you feed or something? Or it's, yeah. It, it, it continues to grow? Yeah. Something, something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I just, there's just so many other things that I have to, like, actually have to put my time and effort into you know, building a business, taking care of my kids. We're in COVID. So taking care of the house, right. 
24 right. seven, you know, multiple meals a day, uh, <laughs> trying to yeah. educate them during the summer. Drama is just not high on my priority list. So um, I thank you so much for coming on. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me. And I hope um, I gave you guys some good information. And uh, if anybody wants to go and check out more of my stuff, they can go to my website at susangowdy.com. And it's G-O-U-D-Y. Okay. Do you have any um, social media handles that you'd like to? Um, they can go to they can go to the website. They can find my Facebook page. Um, it's uh, I I'm trying to think if Facebook I've had that for so long. It's author Susan author Susan Gowdy. Okay. You can go to that on Facebook. Uh, Instagram is uh, Susan Gowdy Power. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something that wasn't already taken. And gotcha. then, uh, Twitter, I think, is just at Susan Gowdy. So you said Susan Gowdy Powder Power? Power, Power. P-O-W-E-R? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to encourage everyone to become empowered. Gotcha. I, I could, empowered was taken, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, gotta, you start to get very, very creative now that so many people have handles out there. Yeah. But it was yeah. a pleasure having you on. Uh, I, I also am on YouTube. You can find my YouTube channel. So just, I just look up Susan Gowdy and I've, um, I did write an article regarding the coronavirus and how to move away from fear and drama during the midst, in the midst of the coronavirus. I've done 10 videos um, to, to accompany the 10 steps I wrote about on how to move away from fear and drama during the coronavirus. So you, the, the YouTube channel has all of those videos on it too. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to check those out. Uh, but yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for leaving us with some good tidbits. I will definitely uh, think more about what you've discussed during this episode and um, have a great day. You too. Thank you, April. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Other Side of 40. You can find us at our site, theothersideof40.com and on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Other Side 40.